Brave New Radio. The music biz 101 or more, Brave New Radio, 88.7, WPSC, the campus of William Patterson, the University, Scenic Township, Wayne, New Jersey, 07470. I'm your professor, David Kirkville, along with the greatest professor of all time. He's a doctor. His name is Dr. Esteban. That is I. Yes, Dr. Esteban, that is I. Music biz 101 and more. This is the final live show of the year of our final Lord 2016. Yes. Wow, it flew by. It did. It flew by. And um, by the way, we should we should give the love to turn the music down just a tiny bit. That's good. That was hot. That The way you did that was really great, Nate the Hawk. Thank you very much. So we so, were listening, by the way, to Rob Fusaro. We have to give Rob a plug because Rob is helping us yes. when we go to the music biz convention in right. Nashville, Tennessee in May. And we want to give a plug to Way McDonald. Way McDonald, number three, the voice, yeah. right? Yes. Great job. Last two nights. Yes. Excellent. William Patterson's Way McDonald. Yes. Way to go. <laughs> I'm the first to say that. Hey, I'm sure Should are. we give some love to uh, Nate the Hawk? Sure. Our producer, Nate the Hawk. The producer, Nate Could the Hawk. this be Nate's last show? His final show of the year. Next semester, Nate has a class along with Jess Frank, who is doing this, doing all this. Uh, Jess did it for a year and a half. Yeah. And then um, they have a class next semester, and they are out of here, so we'll have two new producers next semester. We also have another fine music management minor student with us. My, are you 18? You're, she's at least 18, so she's not a minor, but she's a minor. Minor. No, no, you're you're not a minor. Minor. If I'm a minor in Get school. Get to the point. Yes, okay. My apologies. Well, she's 18 and she's also taking music management classes here at William Patterson University, and her name is Caitlin Hanratty. Caitlin right. Hanratty. And I'm what 22. You, and she's 22. She's old. She's an old woman. <laughs> this was Civil War era. She'd already be on her fourth marriage. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that's right. What is your major here, Caitlin? Public relations. Okay, music management minor. When you grow up, what do you want to do? I hope to go into digital marketing for a record label or a company for radio, such as like iHeartMedia, to do their social medias, build brands, kind mm -hmm. of build bands from the ground up. Great. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And it's great. Uh, I specifically had Caitlin be our student co-host. Why is that? Because of our amazing guest who's going to be on, mm -hmm. Paul Reznikoff from Digital Music News. He's and that's a dot com. this right now. Paul's, is Paul uh, on the air so we can have him? Paul, are you there? Indeed. Okay, Paul. Uh -huh. You're doing, Paul, so far you've been taking over the show. <laughs> I've been and lurking. Yes, it, it's it's almost like LinkedIn, like, but uh, we can tell you're there. So, um, Paul, say hello. Everybody say hi to Paul Reznikoff. Hello, Paul Reznikoff. Hey. Hello, Paul Reznikoff. Hey, hey, big wave. We're, um, wave. Give us two more seconds because we have to um, finish our, our business here. But uh, you have a great voice for radio, Paul. So um, <laughs> right, we're, we're excited to utilize that. We want to. We thank the Music Biz Association already. We want to thank the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management. Because with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings. Oh, I'm sorry. I should I should preface that with uh, Sharon Jones passed away right. uh, two or three weeks ago. So. Yes. Uh, um, that was actually one of the sad things of 2016 that we're going to get into mm -hmm. about the number of, of deaths that we had in our in the music field this year. So yeah. that's actually really sad. But um, Sharon Jones and Dap Kings were part of this as well as Kiss. Uh, they were clients and our clients of uh, Van Dyne Bruno White House Management. And they've been a supporter of the show and supporter of us in going to the Music Business Association last year and also in 2017. So mm -hmm. we want to thank Aaron Van Dyne for that. He's also hooked us up with lots of guests. So we want to thank that. And we give our thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many professionals in the world to manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. She also helps out Trump. I think she's going to be part of his new cabinet. In Donald? Yes. And if you're willing 
to, sorry, if you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement or if you have questions on anything from investment portfolio management to insurance retirement planning, give Christine a call at. Paul, would you please read, repeat after me? 732. Uh, sure. All right, say 732. 732. 455. 455. 1510. 1510. That is how you get a hold of Christine Vay, Wealth Manager, President of Vay Wealth, Oy Vay Wealth Management. So that's where we are. Uh, last live show of the year. Our next live show is on January 25th. Mm-hmm. Then we, there's nothing till Jan, uh, till February 22nd because of basketball, men's basketball. I look today, by the way, the William Patterson men's basketball team has the sterling record of four and six. It'll be a short season. There will be no, uh, at this point, <laughs> we're really giving support to the boys in, yes, in shorts. Yes, there could but, be. We never yes, know. I know. They'll, they'll come from behind like my Mets did this year. So enough of this. This is so silly and so crazy. Who wants to listen to this when we have Paul Resnickoff from Digital Music News? Steve Marconi, why don't you take it off and give him the third degree? Okay. Why don't I do that? Paul, why don't we start with the softballs? What do you think in the... <laughs> label record business just that side of it what was the biggest story in 16 uh huh let's see uh lucian grange uh knighted in uh the united <laughs> kingdom that was number one. one that was it <laughs> uh let's see what else how about uh deal making with uh soundcloud that was a big one mm-hmm. they, they finally soundcloud finally sealed all their major label deals that was a pretty big deal um hmm. What else? What might be number three there? Um, felt like they, they uh, had another year of, uh, of nice recovery. I was pretty surprised. Like they actually are not only treading water, they're actually sort of um, sort of giving a glimpse into how they actually may, may survive in the next era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, were you surprised with uh, Adele's numbers in terms of sales? Yeah, most definitely. Um, so, you know, there's uh, this lurking genius behind it all. You know, you have Rick Rubin and you have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wonderful songwriting. So, you know, it's kind of like going to a magic show. You can't be too surprised. But uh, this is more of the exception of the rule. But, hey, great music. Mm-hmm. And do you think the uh, passing of the baton from Doug Morris to Rob Stringer is positive? Yeah, why not? I, I really am not sure what would change exactly. Um, it's, it's not it's not a knock against Doug Morris. He's an uh, absolutely talented, sure. long-time, absolutely. extremely experienced executive. But I think there's a game plan going on here. So it's not um, focused on one CEO, one leader. Um, it's, not, it's not driven by uh, one specific agenda. I think there's kind of a game plan that all majors are uh, kind of pushing ahead we're seeing the bigger trends sort of congealing uh majors are going to have a piece in that Mm-hmm. well we already uh, i think we saw this week that sony announced they were uh going to have a better or closer relationship between the label and the publishing arm and i don't know if that was you know part of this or what's your take well that's that's always nice um there, there's always some issue there, right? Which is that sometimes you have um, copyrights distributed over different publishers versus um, recording labels. But I think moving moving forward, uh, you want to have as much control over copyright 
as humanly possible. Um, it, the, the high fragmentation just doesn't make sense. It increases confusion. Um, it, it makes it difficult to license major companies that can provide you with money. Uh, it increases piracy, um, all sorts of problems. So uh, moving forward, certainly from the creation process, collapsed copyright, controlled copyrights are uh, far more competitive. They're adaptive. Um, and so, so, yeah, anything that a company can do to, to start to consolidate the often disparate pieces of copyright, I think, smart move. And uh, while we're on copyright, the CSAC move, positive this year? Um, CSAC move, um, which, what are we talking about? Sorry, I'm blanking. CSEC was just... Uh, CSEC went up. Uh, they bought Harry Fox? Yes, they bought Harry Fox. Oh, yeah. Thank okay, you. okay. Um, right, sorry, okay, I blanked. Okay. When I said it, I blanked, too. <laughs> I'm just glad Dave was here. <laughs> yes, they purchased right. Harry no. Fox. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so, so right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Consolidation of mechanical licensing. Mm -hmm. To me, it sort of uh, it starts to get, get too, too fragmented. Um, mechanical versus uh, performance versus sure. all these different licensing streams. That kind of made sense maybe 20 years ago, right? Where mm -hmm. all of these, uh, all these licenses actually meant something. They're actually tied back to a specific use. Now in the digital era, you have basically these older legacy licenses that have sort of been crammed into a uh, kind of next best thing in digital. Mm -hmm. So you know, a, a mechanical license in uh, 1966 meant something extremely different than it does in 2016. Sure. Even in 1996, mechanical yeah. license meant something outrageously right. different, even 2006. Yeah. So now yeah. you have something that was originally created for the mechanical copying of a recording onto a physical medium, i.e. CD, vinyl, wax cylinder, suddenly being crammed into streaming. And so uh, this year we had big blow-ups around lawsuits against uh, Spotify, Google, streaming platforms for uh, failure to pay or recognize mechanical licensing. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes some of the executives involved in these stepped back and said, what's this license again? And it's, it's <laughs> that confusing. The marketplace is that, that insane. Um, so, so consolidating it fits in the bigger picture. Uh, that acquisition is good. Could we ever get in America one-stop shopping? In other words, if um, the, audit, uh, the songwriter would know everything would come from one place. <laughs> well, that that's been talked about for for a really long time. Yeah, for ages. Right, right. It, it would be uh, quite quite amazing, although. There are um, conspiracy theories, which I don't think are so uh, uh, far-fetched, which state that disparate licenses are um, advantageous to, to some rights owners, that having a uh, muddy or confusing marketplace makes it easier um, to file lawsuits, to um, jack up pricing. Um, it's good for the legal industry. So there's some reason why there there would not be um, clarity in the marketplace because the simpler it is, that means the fewer middlemen, the less agencies, the the, the fewer uh, licensing costs, 
administrative costs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of these organizations are legacy, and uh, frankly, sometimes these companies are experts at um, preserving themselves before trying to simplify a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, moving to streaming, straight streaming, are you surprised with the number of new streaming services that have that sort of blossomed in 16 i'm not saying they're doing well but just seems like everyone now is is offering a streaming service what i think is going to happen looking ahead is is that streaming will will basically congeal around a group of elephants so it will be uh spotify it will Mm -hmm. be apple music um it will be uh, YouTube, uh, it'll be Amazon Music. Mm-hmm. There'll be only uh, a, a group of, of gigantic companies. Um, not sure if, if you're going to see, you know, Rhapsody Napster in that, or if even uh, Deezer can survive yeah. in that landscape. And, and it's not like these guys don't have uh, serious funding and serious size, but but their survival is is a question. Um, SoundCloud survival yeah. remains remains a question. So these are companies that, um, well, you know, in the case of, of SoundCloud, um, more than a hundred million in financing. Um, Deezer, same thing, mm-hmm. and we're still openly questioning their survival rate. So uh, a lot more people are going to come into streaming. I think the winners are going to have to be um, utterly gigantic because they may have to assume serious losses over the next. Years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is going to buy title? There's no way title is going to make it another 18 months before somebody buys them. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, I sort of forgot to include them. Well, I will say this: there's an interesting uh, asterisk on, on title, which is that they're claiming that they have um, three million paying subscribers on their twenty dollars tier, which is higher end, high end streaming. And uh, I always sort of wondered, you know, about that figure. It's kind of the first time I've seen high-end streaming scale uh, to that degree. Uh, You know, I'm not so sure that um, they necessarily get acquired or what happens there. Um, That could be uh, any number of scenarios. Um, You know, potentially an acquisition, a clean acquisition, or maybe they die. You know, there's also Mm -hmm. that. You know, not, not every ending has to be a happy one. Or maybe they tough it out. You know, maybe they survive as this sort of player on the edge. Um, mm-hmm. That's gonna a lot's gonna depend on them and, and their execution. I think I think Kanye. Um, I keep saying Kanye. Jay Z bought uh, was involved in the purchase of Title specifically as an investment to sell it, and I think that's how he pitched uh-huh. it to all these. Uh, you know, the big stars on the big rollout. Is that we? I, I bought it for whatever he bought it for. Uh, I don't even was it fifty-seven million or is it less than that? Whatever it was. That sounds about right. Okay, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure he's going to be able to sell it to Apple, Amazon, or Spotify within the next year or so. Um, you know, for seventy-five, hundred million dollars, and make that. But I just think he's he's in it as an investor, as a business person, and not as an artist. And that's all fluff around the idea of he just wants to make money out of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was uh, initially excited by the idea because the the artists, at least the artists that signed on, um, were able to secure better royalties and um, ownership stakes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I've I've heard some mixed things um, through the grapevine 
um, you know, you can imagine we get a lot of uh, intel. Mm -hmm. And we've heard about a lot of higher payouts, but they're not always on time, <laughs> uh, sometimes really, really late. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was sort of encouraged by the, the mission and the idea of sort of giving the power back. But, yeah, I think in the end it's, it's, a, it's about an acquisition or uh, a business proposition. And you, and you even reported uh, last week how when you're going back to SoundCloud, how uh, Spotify and SoundCloud had been in talks for Spotify to buy it, and then the talks broke off, so. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can see that's. Well, I'll tell you, there's uh, something pretty fascinating that's going on behind the scenes. So um, a, big, a big issue that, you've, that Spotify, Apple Music on down have had is that they've, they're, they're big frustration. You know, if you, if you like, you know, sit down with Spotify CEO, you know, Daniel Eck, and you put a vodka in him, you know, his big frustration is that, like, he, he's playing by the rules. You know, mm -hmm. he's gotten the investor community, he's gotten the billions, he's paying the labels, he's doing everything above board. Yet, when somebody wants to hear uh, a DJ mix, or they want to hear a live show from EDC or, you know, whatever, they're going to go to SoundCloud. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to go to YouTube. They haven't been able to go to Spotify to, to get all this organically created, all these remixes, all this stuff that, that makes music music and so alive these days. And so what's starting to happen in the background is that that has become uh, a market opportunity where you're starting to see Spotify and certain companies and investors getting behind the idea of licensing uh, so-called derivative works, remixes, that sort of thing that in the future you're going to see Spotify and Apple Music start to compete better against SoundCloud, against YouTube, mm -hmm. um, and get, you know, able to kind of present some of the more wild edges of music that, that keep fans um, coming back. So that might be part of the explanation why they weren't interested in necessarily dumping, uh, you know, the $350 million or the $500 million or whatever it would cost to, um, to grab SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. And why did um, Pandora enter the uh, interactive streaming business? Yeah, so, you know, Pandora, wow, they're, they're a big player. And their big frustration is that they're sort of just sitting over in uh, streaming radio land. You know, mm -hmm. they've always sort of been over there. And, you know, if Tim Westergren proved anything, he, he proved almost against all odds that that there was this lean back experience that um, people wanted to thumb up and thumbs down. And, mm -hmm. you know, he amassed 80 million unique users. And so then they said, okay, well, we proved that. Well, why don't we, why don't we just be everything? Why don't we take those 80 million people, um, some of whom want just streaming, some of whom want collections. Let's get it all. Let's do, you know, the so-called full stack music service. And, so that's what they're doing. You know, they want a ticketing service. They want an on-demand service. They mm -hmm. want, um, you know, different flavors of radio service. Uh, and they're they're a big player. I think they can they can succeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think with them there, what's interesting is and, um, and I, I'm kind of looking because we also uh, reached out to a bunch of people in the industry about what their predictions were for 2017. And a couple people, including Rosie Lopez, who's the president of Tommy Boy Entertainment, thought that 2017 will be the year when labels, let's see, when labels disrupt the digital music pipeline and finally invest 
in launching great apps and platforms that will offer direct a access to consumers a la HBO and Netflix. So I guess she's saying mm. the labels are going to go, in her opinion, direct to consumer and cut out the middleman, which in this case is Spotify, Pandora, etc. That's interesting. Oh. That's an interesting uh, thought. But, yeah, but subscription, the, right? Yeah, but the, the issue in the industry right now is if I want Adele, I got I to gotta know where to find it. You know, because because windowing is, a, is it's not like in the book world where uh, a new book comes out on hard copy and then six months later on paperback. And I know that's what's going on with music. It's it's not a configuration. It's it's I'm, I want that artist and I want that artist's music. And if I can't find it because maybe it's on title, maybe it's on Apple Music, maybe it's only in stores physically for the superstars, I think eventually that's going to come back and bite them. Um, okay, so bite them how? I, what, I don't, what, I don't how is, you know, it's funny because I'm talking in circles because at the same time, the whole point was going back to the, if a label sold direct to consumer, how is the consumer going to know to go to the Warner Music site to buy the Warner Music Group site to get the new Bruno Mars, unless they just go to Google and type in new Bruno Mars music, you know, if they're selling direct to them, unless there's some big reason for them to, uh, Warner to do it because they're selling ticketing and uh, I guess the whole 360 deal but they're selling it direct to consumers right I don't uh, know if that made any complex, sense to you or not complex question because uh, you know you look at you know you look at television right so television hey, media industry it's a cousin of music right we entertainment um, tremendous fragmentation confusion um, and yet there's there seems to be a lot that consumers will tolerate. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. So Netflix, far from perfect, lacking so much, <laughs> right? So many frontline releases um, missing from Netflix, but you know, it's your, forget the cost, the $8 you know, a month go-to that you can't live without. Um, so, yeah, you know, we've seen Spotify, right? So Spotify missing big releases. Um, Taylor Swift, Adele on down, um, still amassing the 30, 35 million premium subscribers, the 40 million, whatever the number is now. Um, a lot of people, right? Um, Apple Music, 20 million. So we have, I think I counted it all up, and it's now well past 100 million people paying for services that, you know, have a lot of missing stuff. So, um, mm -hmm. I, th I think the question, yeah. I, I oh, I think part of the the issue for me is is um, I guess the lack of branding. In other words, Netflix is branding themselves pretty well right now, and so is Amazon. Uh, NBC, CBS, ABC could never do it. Actually, the first network that did it was MTV. When you when you got to that station, you knew you were on MTV. But still to this day, we have to go, is this on four? Is it on seven? Is it on two? What's it on? And I think what's happening in streaming, too, is that Tidal was the only one that was sort of trying to brand themselves, saying, we've got these artists that put money into it, and this is where you go for these artists. But in terms of what Dave was bringing up, the confusion of where to find things like Spotify or... Pandora or or whatever I'm just talking now, but the idea that that we're not getting uh, I guess a thorough branding of any one of these streaming services, and I think that actually can 
bite them, just like TV is suffering so much now. Because the, I, I, I mean, I watch a lot of Netflix now, and I know only the original stuff. I don't watch the secondary. But I'm, I, I'm getting the feeling that I know what I'm going to get. You know, it's going to be a little offbeat, so on and so forth. Uh, and I think that's that could be very positive for streaming if some if some uh, one of them would really take the helm with this. And I think Jay Z was the only one who started or tried to do this because we were just saying, is it on Spotify? Is it on? You know what I'm? I think you know what I'm getting to. There's no real branding that that belongs there. Indeed, but what? But I I think you're going to be surprised a bit because. Um, Spotify started this big branding campaign. They they want to be more of the default. Um, so so you may see more attempts from Spotify to, to sort of brand themselves and sort of be the it service. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you will. Uh, it doesn't mean others aren't trying. Well, no. Just, I mean, Google did it well. YouTube did it well. I mean, YouTube basically without competition, but. Uh, you know, it has been done, certainly. And if Spotify, if, if Dan Eck can figure it out and do it, it'd be great because he's got such a, uh, a leg up on things still. Well, here's, here's something interesting also. So the, the, it's interesting because I always used to think, well, what would, the, what would the streaming music world look like or what would the music industry look like if there were 100 million people paying? Well, we hit that level. Mm. Okay, so here's what that world looks like. It looks kind of like it's moving in a direction that we can we can kind of see through the fog now. There are a lot of people who are willing to pay for this. There's value there. It, it almost um, confirms that there there's something there. You know, there's a it's not a blob. It's not a guess anymore. So then the next tier is well, what's that next level? Okay, well maybe maybe 250 million, <laughs> right? At 250 million, you sort of have a new industry that doesn't go back. It's not subject to a brand new experiment, or it's not going to be, you know, uh, some some format we can't think of yet. It seems at least for a while, right? Uh -huh. So at 250 million, you've got real revenue coming back. You've got an industry where people can have secure jobs, artists can create, build longer careers. So we're looking at that being a next threshold, and I think we, we might reach it. And that kind of explains why you may see more of that, that big branding coming out. You may mm -hmm. see more investment to get, you know, the Spotify billboards up uh, in Times Square or, uh, you, know, um, you know, Microsoft might, uh, might spend more, Google might spend more, mm -hmm. Tidal might even commit more. So there's a big prize now that people can see. So um, 2017 might be the year where you start to see more of that. Mm, mm. Interesting. Yeah, good point. While we have you, Paul, uh, we, we do have Caitlin Hanratty here, who's our student uh, guest, and she's a, a PR major, music business minor here. And she actually has some questions going back to more about you and, and digitalmusicnews.com, your website, and because um, she's very interested in social media and could she ask you a couple questions of course all right so hey, on, on hi on twitter a lot of people are asking how you drive traffic to your site and adding to that what do you what kind of articles do you think bring the most traffic to your site because i see that you have a wide spectrum of things that you cover from D donald trump and 
Kanye meeting in Trump Tower the other day to to straight music business things such as Spotify and stuff like that. So what do you think brings the most people in and what what kind of articles bring the most traffic to your site? That's a brilliant question. Um, so I've been thinking about this quite a bit because, you know, when I was in the underwear in my basement stage, um, <laughs> yeah. I was just sort of, I was geeking out on industry topics like uh, sales data and, you know, trajectory of the CD and, why didn't FDCD happen or uh, SACD happen? You know, all these like geeky topics that, um, you know, core industry people were following. And then, you know, the realization I had in the last few years is it's everything. Everything is um, pertinent to um, our, you know, our industry audience. Uh, we have um, a producer that's in Cincinnati who cares that, you know, you have uh, that Kanye met Trump thinks that's really interesting and wants to stay abreast of what's happening there. And then also wants to know what the YouTube royalty rates are as well as, um, you know, how to, uh, what, what type of, uh, sounds, sound quality he should be trying to achieve, uh, you know, in his mixes and all sorts of things. Right. Um, so I've sort of changed, um, my tact and said, well, this industry is, has been changing so violently for the last couple of years, and and almost anything is gained that's in in, in music. So um, I, while I was just before I jumped on with you guys, I was actually writing a piece um, based on some research on YouTube royalty rates. Okay, so that's really interesting. The industry this morning, uh, you know, we wrote about U.S. Copyright Office. We wrote about. Um, you know, Trump meeting Kanye. We just talked about everything because we feel like, like it's all pertinent to to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, your second part was what reacts. Now that is, I wish I knew the answer to that because, um, you know, we veer far and wide, and it just always amazes me what topics go crazy. Um, you know, we'll spin through maybe a hundred articles and get getting you know great traffic and attention and then you know and then one will just go absolutely crazy and um one was about pandora royalties and that was <laughs> almost broke our site and then another one was about uh the kardashian robbery you know <laughs> it's like just a random short piece he wrote and that blew up and so it's really hard to predict you know um i wish i had a formula for it mm-hmm. um usually it's when we're saying something different and unique and we have our own voice and angle on it, um, those things tend to cut through because uh, sometimes everyone sort of piles on and, and tends to report similar things. So it becomes this echo chamber. So, so maybe that's the answer, that, that the more unique and, uh, you know, when we approach it from the other side or a different angle, we tend to get more attention. We, we did get a tweet, and this goes right along with, with what you're choosing to, to publish. Uh, Trey Davis at its underscore trade day wants to know with the rise of fake news across media platforms how do you sift through and eliminate that from what's the truth brilliant question um this is something that is in motion right now the um there are i will call them quote-unquote open market solutions that are already starting to to rush in uh, for example slate just came up with um, a, um, a Chrome extension that allows you to flag a fake news article so that anyone who's got the extension can know of other people in their, uh, you know, the fake, other people who are reading the same articles 
think that this is a suspect article. Um, so that is just one example of the types of reactions. Um, I had even uh, talked to a group of uh, um, energized uh, activist lawyers who have proposed uh, a, a legal task force that swoops in when there is a fake story and tries to energize a plaintiff to take on the publication. Huh. Um, so th these, are, these are things that are happening uh, in the wake of, of the election. Um, you may see also, as a third part to that, you may see Facebook start to do um, certain things or Google start to do certain things. So um, let, me, let me show you the type of thing that Google does to eliminate spam articles. Um, I'll give you a very simple example. So um, when you type in um, best pizza in Patterson, right, you're going to get a list of, you know, pizza places, okay? But you wouldn't get um, a spam site that just, you know, has pizza written on it a thousand times because th there's a very simple logic that Google has for just sort of eliminating that, throwing it in a trash bin so that you don't get it. They want to match your intent with something that's real. Um, so in the same way, you may see these giant, giant communities, uh, Google, et cetera, coming up with ways to penalize sites um, that are clearly making um, fake news. So, uh, you know, the world and technology will adapt. There is sort of this, um, there's sort of an immunity defense that I, that I think is taking hold. Um, and you'll see a lot of things happening um, to, to meet this urgent, urgent issue. Hmm. Great. Do you have a follow-up, Caitlin? Well, not a follow-up to that, but there was another on your site when I'm looking at the top, there was a job drop-down. Drop and as a senior in college, I was looking at it, and I saw in your internships that on your site it says, in terms of skills, that there is no specialized skills required to start. So when you're looking for an intern, what specifically do you look for someone who's going to be working for you in the music industry and digital media industry, which constantly change, and for someone who has to keep up with that, what kind of skills are you looking for? It depends on the position, but I, but I will say this. I'm of the, I'm of the uh, opinion that anything can be learned. So, um, you know, if, unless it's a highly specialized, um, you know, um, database organization or something like that where I, I clearly need like specific uh, you know MySQL experience or something like that which may not be music industry I'm typically looking for uh, uh, um, people who are adaptive mm -hmm. who are um, who are able to work very hard and overcome obstacles um, and sort of function within uh, an environment that, that can change a lot um, you know resourcefulness so for that, that's the reason why I said, like, I, I just need you to be someone who can kind of pick up things, has a natural curiosity. And, um, you know, actually, we, we've hired against the exact position you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're already starting to build uh, a new aspect to our site. And the person who came in, like, I could just tell immediately, she's actually from UCLA. And I could tell, like, this person is super smart. I can teach this person and, and she'll learn the rest. And so... Um, I know it's kind of a vague answer, but um, the, the, the ability to learn new stuff and wanting to learn new stuff, I think, is critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and based on what you're saying, so you be, like you, you're able to mold your employees to kind of 
train them to how from the bottom up in sorts to do what you want to be done on that site if i think so yeah, yeah sure um so i'll give you an example like what we're um you know in this case what we're trying to do is you know one of the big challenges we have is um this so-called music industry which is uh you know our core audience it, it's changing so rapidly that um i wasn't even paying attention but we did a, a deep data analysis of of our crowd and it was totally different in just two to three years and um you know geographically i was thinking hey you know it's all united states and wow i mean we've the age of our reader um has changed um considerably um the type of person so there's a far greater variety of people reading um so so yeah it's it's changing so rapidly um so what we're trying to do is we're trying to build more of a resource and database that people can use um, to research different companies, startups, trends, um, data, and that sort of thing. And so this is sort of the first step um, in, in moving us in that direction. So, um, you know, I can teach people how, you know, uh, a site backend works and the basics of the industry. And yeah, then I start training and we go from there. Mm-hmm. So why don't we get back for a moment to uh, 2016 versus 2017. And a couple things uh, that I had down of, of sort of the big news that I was looking for, you know, 45 minutes to, to some stuff that happened this year. I'll just mention them and you can kind of let us know what where you think these sort of fell in terms of, of news for the year. Um, and it's a mix of geeky stuff to non-geeky stuff. One is uh, Sony Corp purchased the rest of Sony ATV Publishing, the ATV that the Michael Jackson estate owned. They they finished that purchase for $750 million, which was pretty good considering, I think, um, um, ATV was half-owned by Michael Jackson, so that would give a, a market value of ATV overall to $1.5 billion, so that's still something. Um, the Desert Trip shows out in uh, California on the, the grounds of, I believe it was Coachella with, <laughs> with McCartney and Roger Waters. Coachella. What, did I say Coachella? No, you said Coachella. But, oh, his old but, Shella. But, yeah, yeah, old Shella. Yeah. Mick said old Shella. Right. <laughs> old Shella. But yeah, so that was pretty, uh, pretty major. American Idol ended for the year. Uh, Live Nation got bigger and bigger and bigger, and we haven't really talked at, at all yet about the live business. Uh, Zeppelin uh, surviving members of Zeppelin won the Stairway to Heaven lawsuit. Let's see, blockchain got some more press. We actually had uh, Benji Rogers on a few weeks ago talking about blockchains. So that was interesting. Right. And uh, we talked about windowing streaming and the loads. Uh, so many deaths this year from Bowie to Prince. I had mentioned Sharon Jones from Journey of the Dakims. Uh, Glenn Fry, Lou Pearlman died. And then we had uh, George mm -hmm. Dassinger. I don't know if you'd know George Dassinger or not from. Uh, He's a PR guy out here from Dastard Creative. He wanted us to bring up to you that uh, Bob Krasnow died last week. Oh, yes, he did. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, That's right. And, and, and so those were some of the things that I had. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about those. Uh, yeah, I've got thoughts on uh, pretty much every one of those topics. Um, you know, hey, I, I think the most interesting thing I could add it would be on the desert trip because I actually went out there. <laughs> and, yeah, it was... Um, Man, it was a huge eye-opener for me. So, um, you know, we all know the lineup. Um, I was amazed at the audience. So, first of all, I don't think I've ever seen 
a crowd in just one spot as huge as that. It it was wow. it was enormous, an enormous amount of people. <laughs> like if you were sitting in the back watching the Stones, you probably you had no chance of seeing an actual human being on the stage. It's that far away. Mm. You you would not be able no chance. Only on the jumbotrons, um, and you know, so that so those that's that this gives you an extent of how many people were there. But what I was amazed by is the the absolute um, differences in age and and variety of demographics. So I saw so many twenty somethings people there, yeah, um, and I was shocked. I thought you know it's called Ocella, right? It's supposed to be right. uh, the older generation, but no. Um, a lot of younger people just want to go out and see music, and there's this timeless quality to so much of this stuff that, mm. um, yeah, you know, there's no reason why a 22-year-old doesn't want to go see the Rolling Stones. They're they're an awesome show, and these this is a this is a demographic that loves to go to festivals. So, in the conversations I was striking up with some of the younger people there, they're like, yeah, you know, no big deal. This is fun, and it's a great thing to do. And then, of course, you've got the older demographics as well, uh, not to mention people who are, you know, dropping, uh, you know, $8,500 on uh, boxy, you know, all this stuff. Right. Um, you know, it's fun for everyone. Right. Well, John Perales, I think, New York Times, that was the, one of the first things he wrote about after the first weekend was that there were these 20-somethings there uh, enjoying it. And it was just sort of, you know, an eye opener, like you just said. Well, by the way, I have to, I have to tip my hat big time to the to the Rolling Stones. I mean, these guys, I just don't understand it. How <laughs> it's like, I, I know, I know, you, you, if you're a music fan, you've had this discussion about seventeen times, right? But it's just so weird that that you have Mick Jagger, seventy three years old. I mean, he is. He's jumping around yeah. like a 28-year-old. He just had a kid. Yeah. And <laughs> I know. It's, just, it's just amazing. And I remember I went to see the Stones, a giant stadium, in the late 90s. And I was thinking in the back of my head, is this the last show they're going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. God. Are you from the East Coast? Uh, yeah, I grew up uh, in D.C., actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, how old is Digital Music yeah. News, your site? So, yeah, it depends how you count it, because um, I started blogging about the industry back in uh, 06, okay? Mm. So what ended up happening there is, um, yeah, it was just kind of, I was blogging, I was um, exiting a, um, a technology company that I was with, and we had a music angle. Um, and so, yeah, it was sort of something I was doing that was fun on the side. Um, and then it sort of, then I kept it going independently for a while. Um, then I started working with another company. And so now it's a full-blown company, but it's been in existence for probably 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Inter- interesting. Um, based upon that, we uh, Caitlin's going to read a, I just lost it, a tweet to you um, based upon building a website. This is from Jello Cruz at Jello Music. He asks, what is the best advice you can give to someone to increase their audience for their website? Okay, um, well, the answer is, uh, it sort of depends on what what the website is or what it is about. Um, 
So the the answer, I wish I had a little more interaction with the, the person asking a question, but um, so there, there are a lot of things um, to, to increase engagement. If you're approaching something from, you know, like a news standpoint, an information standpoint, um, you know, a lot of it boils down to um, keeping people engaged, trying to, to sort of bear hug this community of people that are interested in, in what you're all about. So for us, the challenge is sort of like bear hugging this community that all has uh, the interest of music industry and business, those kind of circles, you know, in a Venn diagram and uh, approaching them that way. Um, let's say you're doing something else. Uh, let's say it's a website about a scene. Okay. So I don't know, let's say you, know, you want to have a, a site about death metal. I think part of the challenge there is to try to, um, to, to, to write passionately about a genre or a scene or artists and, and all of that, that magnetically attracts an audience of like-minded people. Um, but then also to write stuff that you're passionate about, but that matches what the audience is, is passionate about as well. So, um, you know, so you write about bands that are exciting you, and then you sort of keep tabs on what you're getting the most response on. So, um, you know, if Nordic death metal is getting the most response, it's sort of headed in that direction. So it's sort of, it's a bit of a compromise between what you personally love and what, what's matching and, and getting um, resonance with the audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find that having social like sites such as Twitter or Instagram to talk one-on-one -on -one with your consumer or your reader helps that finding what exactly you should be writing about? in that specific genre that you're writing about or topic that you're writing about on your site? Not so much. Um, I'll tell you why. A, a lot of the people that come out on a social media are oftentimes um, complaining or they hate an article or um, disagree and that sort of thing. So what ends up happening is the, the, the very small minority of people that um, really, really hate you will come out and start to, to <laughs> express that hate. And so you get a very skewed outlook of, of what's actually resonating. Mm -hmm. So I try, to, I try to step back and just take like a really, um, you know, a really big picture of stuff. And that doesn't mean disregarding the negative comments because genuinely there can be, you know, good negative comments that bring up a lot of good points, uh, but sort of balancing it and then looking at the data and thinking, huh, you know, what, what kinds of topics are resonating the most? Like who's out there? And you know, earlier there was a question about mechanical licensing, okay? Well, we wrote guide upon guide upon guide about mechanical licensing. And you know what? It's not that many people. We didn't get more than several, you know, a few thousand people in total reading those posts. And the reason why is just, who knows? Maybe it just wasn't something that people are focused on or they're not ready to dig into that level of detail or the people that know about it or you know about it. Um, so, you know, I take that data um, more seriously than, um, you know, the sort of uh, jabs or quick responses that, that we get on social media. Mm -hmm. Now, you were talking about feedback with, uh, with readers and, and such. There, there was a, and I, you know, um, let me go back. The Tricordist, that website, uh, the guy who runs yeah. it, the guy from Cracker, what's his name, Dave? Is it Dave? Who's the guy from Cracker? Yeah, I can't remember. Drummer. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
um, no, 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 at Dave Lowry. Dave Lowry, that's Dave Lowry, Dave Lowry yeah. uh, who runs the Tricordis. Uh, he and one of your writers, uh, Ari Herstand, had some back and forth over something. I guess Ari wrote. This is uh, two or three weeks ago, I guess. And they were, they actually, it was a very public sort of airing out of differences back and forth. And then you, you finally stepped in and, and said some things. Um, how do you determine how you're going to engage with your readers, whether they're giving positive comments or negative comments or uh, whether it's negative about the content or negative back to somebody who made another comment on the site what it, what are your policies or did and had you planned that out ahead of time how you're going to react to different situations when it comes to engagement on the site so in that situation uh you're probably talking about the very very ugly back and forth that that emerged um yeah i was disappointed with uh with with david on that one actually uh, i know i know david and so i thought he was punching pretty low against Ari, who I think had a very, um, a genuinely real opinion about um, taking down videos on Facebook, very controversial. But to me, that was a very important debate to have. Um, so I guess my policy on that is, huh, like I'm, I'm willing to take people on, and I think Ari is willing to take people on, and people are willing to take on us. Um, so you're probably referring to the post I wrote where I was kind of just calling David out, you know, I just felt like he was kind of going low road on it. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, so I called him out on that. Um, so there's sort of, uh, there's a smash mouth element to, to our publication sometimes. Like, I feel like the, the boxing uh, can kind of get ugly, but in my mind, uh, that was a critical debate to have. And I think they're, just to, just to update anyone who's just jumping in on this, so the debate itself was whether or not uh, uh, video, cover videos on Facebook should have been yanked down because Facebook had not properly secured um, the licenses required to cover um, the synchronization right, mm -hmm. uh, which is another type of publishing licensing for a cover. So on one side, that's all right. The license should have been secured. And you know, a group like Universal Music Group has every right to tear it down. Ari's point, I think, was also very worthwhile, which is that just because it's the law doesn't mean that it's proper or the best way to grow an industry or that it needs to be applied so stringently. And sometimes the reaction, as we've seen over the past 15 years, is that fans get totally alienated. They take it out on the artist. They go to piracy. They decide not to pay for uh, Spotify. Um, you know, they, they think that, that, the, that the labels are greedy. Um, they take talking points from the tech industry far more seriously after that. So there, there's a lot to that debate. And um, frankly, I was disappointed that, that Ari was sort of shouted down or, or kind of, you know, sort of like so much hate and name calling against him for that opinion. But it was pretty worthwhile to, to consider it, my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, and in that case, you're dealing with a, at least an online personality. Uh, Dave Lowry is a very strong-willed person mm. about, you know, with his, his feelings about, especially as it, when it comes to royalties, digital royalties for uh, indie artists, DIY artists, mm -hmm. um, you know, on the, not the superstars, but, you know, on the lower 
economic ladder of the industry. So um, it, it's just an issue because you, you do have, I've linked to your site many times. We put out a weekly newsletter and um, so we, we link to articles and things going on in the business. And lots of times when I link to stuff going on at Digital Music News, I tell people the, the article is great, but actually read the comments because that's where you're getting a lot more, <laughs> you know, the, the, the debate. You can see both sides of different issues. And sometimes I find the comments on your site to really be awesome. Like you're starting the conversation and the comments really take it uh, much deeper. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that, that I think is one of the best things, um, which is, yeah, some of these debates get, get crazy. Um, but back to your original question on, on sort of how to handle the negative feedback, um, it doesn't, doesn't bother me so much because uh, I'll tell you what, everyone who came out of that debate is probably thinking a little bit differently. Anyone who read the article, commented, got involved, they're thinking a little bit differently about the whole um, you know, Facebook monetization and licensing issue um, after all of that. And you know, maybe there is a way that that there's a there's a way to, to to have a better licensing scheme that fans don't notice sort of in the background makes everybody money and everybody's happy um there may be a better solution there so um you know as as ugly as some of these debates and as as, as uh you know as emotionally charged as they can get um i think it's good that they're they're happening Mm -hmm. uh, about three minutes left. One thing for 2017 that John, John Simpson, who works uh, executive in residence at the Kogod School of Business at American University, he's a, he's a friend of ours. He used to be a director of Sound Exchange. He's wondering if in 2017 BMI and ASCAP will be forced to merge because he says each organization has about $120 million in expenses and a merger would mean an immediate increase of $120 million to publishers and writers because you'd be eliminating redundancy and administration uh, fees would drop as they would no longer need to spend to compete against each other. Um, therefore, uh, more money for, for members, <laughs> which I think is interesting because he was there at the, when SoundExchange started up, so he's got some different, some unique thoughts to this, I think. Uh, quite interesting. It's pretty strange. Um, so, yeah, you've got now four different PROs in the United States, um, which is, if you talk to someone from a, from another country, and even a fairly large country, they sort of can't believe that, that there's, there's so many um, competing PROs. So structurally, it's, it certainly makes sense. My only question is that these are, you know, deep legacy companies mm -hmm. um, with their own, like, long histories. And... Um, built-in structures, fees, surcharges, everything. I mean, there's, there's even a lot of different rules for how you set up with them. Um, all this stuff would have to be worked out. Um, all these differences, uh, it, it's not just as simple as slapping two companies together. Um, so I, I'd be curious to see how those, those issues would be um, resolved. And I'd also mention that just because it would be better and mean more money for the artist. Um, cynically, that isn't always the, the driving reason for, for moves to happen. Um, in fact, I think artists end up losing a huge amount of money from administrative fees, middlemen, um, for reasons that prioritize the organizations first 
instead of maximizing the payouts. Um, so I'd be curious to see if if that actually um, consummates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, another thing, and, and I'll, I'll say who said it in a moment, but um, what's interesting is one person thinks that blockchain in 2017 will get even more attention, um, yet continue to befuddle all but a limit, limited group of initiates. Um, it's interesting the person who's thinking about blockchain and thinks it'll get bigger is Michael Simon, who's who's a, a friend of our shows, who's the CEO of Rumblefish and the Harry Fox Agency. Right. And mm-hmm. Harry Fox already has such a great database, and it, it sounds like they're definitely looking at the blockchain and how that can help when it comes to licensing and getting permissions and payouts and things. I'm less um, hopeful of blockchain, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, Blockchain assumes that the issues on payouts are are rooted in technology. That technology can fix the core issues that um, are creating non-transparency, slow payouts, non-payments, um, fraud. <laughs> you know that, that that technology is the is the fix-all for that. And, and that's not to say that technology uh, in the last 10 years, the last 50 years, has played an enormous role in sort of, you know, shining a light on those those dark cracks um, where bad things are happening. But blockchain can't change a major label contract. It can't change um, a PRO's unwillingness to pay for a track played in inside of 90 days. It can't... Um, it can't undo um, sort of these uh, legacy, purposely built inefficiencies within PROs overseas in the United States, et cetera, that are designed to, to beef up administrative fees or create large holding accounts. Yeah. Um, these systems have to, they have to play along with blockchain, right? And so um, there, there's not a fix-all here. It would require a large group of participants in the music industry, a new generation of people to say, okay, this is going to be different. We're going to totally, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to crack some eggs to make this omelet. And that to me is, is a very, um, that's a revolution in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, not yeah. a technology fix. Right. Okay. We've got about uh, 32 seconds left. So I'm going to ask you to stick your neck out and give me a prediction for 2017 that you you're gonna see ah. some really fun surprises on vinyl and i'm not just oh, talking sales gosh. vinyl <laughs> technology is ah. going to start to change in ways you can't even imagine that's my prediction okay and we don't even know the ways because you certainly aren't going to sell me that i'm going to sit in front of two speakers and watch a piece of vinyl go around like i did in the 70s and the 60s and so on so this new prediction of vinyl will have a new and different um, role in this industry. I'll certainly uh, be looking out for. Well, given that I only have seven seconds left, I can't get into it. But <laughs> <laughs> a rich, a rich answer to that question. Have me on again. I'll, I'll go into great detail with you. Okay, Marconi, what is your prediction for 2017? Uh, I predict that some streaming services will have to. Uh, combine that uh, it's not going to be there's just too many out there now in this 
strong will survive and the weak won't. And I also predict that the ATT Warner thing will go through. And that's going to be another player in this entertainment business. Very interesting. Okay, very good. And you? I predict there will be more uh, deaths in 2017. Ah. <laughs> God, taxes too. But right? who? Yeah. Who's going to die? <laughs> yeah, the Death and taxes. I know, sure, I know. can't lose. Um, all right, well, we need to stop. So, Paul Reznikoff, we need to thank you. We need to thank you. So, may we thank you? Because we are sure. thanking you, Paul. Whether you My like it or not, we're thanking you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank now, you. It was a pleasure. No, this is great. It was really great to have you on the air. And this will be a podcast that people can check out on iTunes and SoundCloud, the aforementioned SoundCloud. When it's up, I'll send it out to you, and you will be able to give a listen and just fall in love with your radio voice. <laughs> great. I'll be subscribing. So I'll very, get it. Very good. Can't wait. So thanks again. Okay. One more time. Yeah, Paul thanks. Resnikoff, Digital Music News. Right. Go there. Get Absolutely. your news. That's right. And we want to thank Caitlin Hanratty, who is our student co-host for the night. Caitlin yes. Hanratty, all right. Thank you for having yes. me on. She's also the uh, social media intern for the William Patterson University Music Department. Great. Coming semester. So good job, Caitlin Hanratty. Thank you. We want to thank Nate the Hawk for producing us. For last time he'll be doing so. We will miss you, Nate. We will miss you, Nate the Hawk. You will be next. You should see the tears streaming down his face, the, right. the, the goo coming out of his nose. Right. It's, it's disgusting, it's, but, it, but it's emotional so, and, and drenched with love. Professor Phil, eh? what do you have planned for the break? I'm actually going to do more research. We have our book coming out, Managing Your Band, in April. April and I'm already uh, trying to think about uh, spinoffs of that book because I have some work to do in terms of presentations, and I have to think mm -hmm. of a, a book after that. Mm -hmm. That's that's my main thing, and then uh, we have to line up guests for our show for the for the right. coming semester. And you know where to find me. Yes, during the break. Yes, you will be on assignment that's in a right. warm climate. That's right. I will I will keep track of the cold <laughs> up here for Jersey and let you know what's going on. Please do. So for Doctor Esteban Marconi, ho ho ho! Uh, I am your professor David Kirk Philp. We would like to thank you ho, for listening ho, ho. to WP eighty eight point seven Brave New Radio on your FM dial, streaming live. GoBrave.org. Again, go to musicbiz101wp.com. Find us, sign up for the newsletter, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the face of the book, at musicbiz101wp. Check us, check out the podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Listen to Rob Fusari's music. We love Rob Fusari. He's the best, best human being ever, best songwriter ever. Hey, listen to his Christmas song called A Christmas We Deserve, which is on YouTube, which he wrote and performed with the band ABC. So... For, for Nate the Hawk, Caitlin Hanrati, Dr. Stephen Marconi, I'm David Kroll saying love you very much, and instead of hello, we say adios!